0: Hi, everybody. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And And this this is
1: Dead Dead Time Stories. Stories.
0: It's a weekly podcast where Sarah and I get together and talk about ghost stories, true crime, conspiracies. We talk about supernatural, paranormal, or just the generally weird and eerie, just whatever it is that we feel like talking about that week, because it's our show. And not yours oddly enough if weird. you didn't know I'm... welcome back if you're a returning fan yeah thank listeners. you so much <laughs> if
1: you're um, returners welcome
0: if you're coming for the first time sarah would tell you to start at the first episode yeah what
1: are you doing go start at the beginning
0: just start at the beginning man
1: turn this off just kidding i mean i don't know and now i now i feel weird now I've mixed up
0: now I've now, I've fucked, now, up. Are now really? fucked up now <laughs> you because anytime it's ever brought up in the past Sarah is always like start at the beginning stop what you're don't even listen to this I episode know. go to the beginning so to hear Sarah stall even for a moment to be like I don't know I'm just really? pandering for more listeners it's happened it's happened be- oh my god people are are listening I'm like, like listen a hundred of them
1: wait no don't stop listening because then you probably won't go back and start again you're probably just like this girl's a bitch
0: Greg asks me so much about our numbers and I'm like I don't know I'm so sorry you should ask Sarah
1: (laughs) they uh, could be better oh I'm sure I'm sure
0: (laughs) but he's (laughs) well because he'll ask me he's like you know he's like there's got to be a way to know right like how many like downloads you have a a week or like how many listens how many plays and I was like probably doesn't Greg have a podcast I think so. So does he not know how to find the analytics for his own podcast? Are you going to shit on Greg like this? No, I'm just asking a question. <laughs> we love you, Greg. I don't know. I don't know what Greg knows. I think that he does, but he's curious about our our analytics. Like he wants to, I don't want to say compare does himself. Does he want to compare like himself? He, <laughs> right. Like he wants to know what our listenership is like.
1: It's fine. But hey, y'all, tell your friends. Tell your friends. Tell your We'd friends. Love to tell your have family. more people
0: listen to this show.
1: Just put it, it on in the background at night. I don't know. You got any?
0: You got any good banter this week? No. And you know what?
1: I feel like last week when we did it, and then when I edited the episode, I kind of liked
0: just quickie
1: you, popping it popping it in there. You
0: liked the no banter. You I say. kind of liked
1: the just like, oh, get it on. That's like,
0: intense. Right off the top. How do you, the listener, feel? I mean, I totally expect to hear your answer right now. We're <laughs> recording, and it's you know, a few days before the show comes out.
1: What if it's like, um, "Hey everyone, text the number two two five nine right now with your response. Type oh my God. zero for I. Liked how do we get? How
0: it. do we get one type- of those for dead time stories? How do we get one of those five digit phone numbers? We go back to two thousand and four. No, because <laughs> I still get texts like that. I mean, just like the you know, type in and and vote.
1: Like oh, American no, no, no. Idol,
0: I meant like those tech Like I mean, you know, hey, I get it's funny. I get things to vote like that for the American like presidential. Well, yeah, I mean that's <laughs> where that's it's what like, it's become hey, now. Stephanie, are you registered to vote? Oh. Are you voting by mail? Who will be your next American president? My sister said responded with something to one of them about like not. Something about like not supporting the continued fall into fascism, like something like really like intense. and they responded something like, you know, this is my favorite response so far tonight. Have a great night, Galmery. <laughs> because it's a real
1: person sending you those messages those text messages. It's a real person. It's a
0: real person, I know. yeah, that's I know it blows my mind. I think so, yeah, that freaked need... me
1: out the first time where I I responded and then they were like thinking it was cool, a bot. Great. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> me ooh, too, you're a
0: human. I've said some saucy things and then been like, Oh, that's a real person.
1: <laughs>
0: my response Definitely when I talk.
1: Robot. My response when I talk to someone who I think is a lizard person, and then I'm surprised. Oh,
0: you're a real person. You're a real person, I guess. I don't know. I can't see you, so I'm just assuming and we know what that does. There we go. Yeah, it kills the cat. It gets us. <laughs>
1: So let's jump into it. I mean, I was gonna say, I think that's it. I think we're, I think
0: we're moving in.
1: Let's slam right into it. All right, spit I on guess, it let's and do let's, do let's go. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, hey Leslie. Leslie. Y'all, Y'all ready, ready to, to talk, talk about, about some,
0: ghosts? some ghosts?
1: Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts?
0: Now I always ooh. want to do a weird, like ooh, spooky noise, like he does. Spooky, spooky noise, Sarah. Stephanie, what are you talking about this week.
1: Seveny. are you? We talked about who's going first. And I know. It's you. I'm just <laughs> responding. Oh,
0: God. We already decided. Oh,
1: y'all, it's messed up. All right, episode don't know, over. They don't know that we're
0: bad at that. I mean, they, they know, do know they because know. we say it they every know. episode. Thanks for listening. Not we every episode. Really Sometimes it. we we talk about it beforehand, and this time we talked about it beforehand and decided it was you. <laughs> It's me, y'all. I'm going first. Stephanie,
1: are you ready to talk about a good old-fashioned American ghost story? Of course I am. Woo! Because that's what I got. Good. Taking it back. Good old days. We got a nice old Revolutionary War ghost story.
0: Ooh, yeah. Those are like some of the best. Yes. I feel like that's the uh, the most American ghosts are either from the Revolutionary War or the Civil War. Yeah, because a lot of people died then. Oh my god. Those are the those are the wars that happened on American soil. So I guess that would make sense why I think that those have the uh, most American ghosts, but
1: too soon, but how many ghosts do you think are gonna come after this COVID thing?
0: Oh well didn't we talk about this with Adol? Like there aren't really you don't really see like modern ghosts. Now we because we've hit our ghost quota. Our ghost quota. So like, there's all just old timey ghosts.
1: Uh, Also, listeners, if y'all have ever come across a modern day ghost, please for the love of God email and tell me. We need to know. So, anyways, we're not dealing with modern day ghosts. We're dealing with some Revolutionary War, late 1700s ghosts. So I first heard about this story in this book I'm reading, and I'm reading a book that's written by. Aaron Mahonke, who is the narrator for the podcast Lore, and it's called Mm -hmm. Dreadful Places. And it basically is a ton of fantastic content. And you will probably be hearing more stories that are inspired by him telling a little bit about the story and then me doing more research on it. But this is one of those stories. So credit to Lore for putting this out there from what I saw at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But this is the story of Melrose Hall in New York City. So Melrose Hall was located near Prospect Park in New York City, and it was originally built in 1749 by an Englishman by the name of Lane.
0: I used to live really close to Prospect Park when I lived in Brooklyn. Well, there you go. I was like four blocks from Prospect Park.
1: Oh, then, yeah, you were close.
0: Because, yeah, yeah, it's –
1: I want to say it's like a block or two by where Prospect Park is.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, That's really close to where I live.
1: So – This guy who originally bought it and uh, built it in 1749, he came from a wealthy family that didn't care for his drunken parties and his new lower class wife. So he moved across the sea to New York City into his exile, which you can't see because we're on a podcast, but I'm doing air quotes quotes. around Because it's like a
0: self-induced
1: exile. It's also like, is it an exile if you're happy in it? Like, aren't you supposed to be unhappy in exile because you're separated from what you want to like be? In? He was
0: estranged.
1: I don't even <laughs> I don't Yeah, know. I don't know. Anyways, he moved over to New York City because his family was like, You party too hard, we don't want you around. So he was like, That's fine, I'ma leave, I'm gonna take my poor wife with me. So Lane's lifestyle didn't change at all in this huge house that he bought. His parties remained extravagant and ridiculous, and Melrose Hall became a centerpiece of local gossip. A few years after moving into Melrose Hall, it's said that Lane stepped outside during one of his parties and just never returned. No one knows what happened to him. Melrose Hall didn't need drunken parties to keep itself on the map, I mean, however. Really? <laughs> Uh, The house itself was something to talk about. The home was two and a half stories tall with a gable roof that created numerous small spaces, something that Lane had apparently taken advantage of when building the house because he created secret hidden rooms and passages throughout the home. In the banquet hall, there was a large fireplace that had closets on either side, and inside of one of these closets, you would find a secret door that could only be unlocked from the outside. Once unlocked, it revealed a narrow staircase that led to a hidden bedroom above the hall. Across the house in the dining room was another secret passage hidden behind furniture. And apparently the entire piece of furniture would swing outward like a door and walking through it would leave you would lead you to the slave quarters of the house. Yeah. And to top the whole thing off, the house had a small vaulted dungeon beneath the main home. Because, of course. Yeah. So when Lane... Walked away from his party and disappeared. Uh, and Melrose Hall became available for purchase in the mid 1750s. It was eagerly purchased by a man named William Axtell. William Axtell was a merchant currently living in Manhattan and seeking more space in solitude as New York City rapidly grew around him. But before he and his family moved into the home, he sent someone else ahead of them to move in his mistress. Isabel Yay yeah, he did yep because of course I feel like a lot of this story starts out with because of course so he sent Isabel before to get her settled in the house before he brought his wife in we're not exactly sure who Isabel was some stories say that she was his wife's sister others say she was a woman he met while he was living in Jamaica and working as a merchant prior to moving to New York City but she was described as being tall, with long black hair and a kind smile. When Isabel arrived at the home before the family, she was greeted by Miranda, and Miranda was William's most trusted slave. Miranda led Isabel to her new home inside the home, the secret room above the banquet hall. The plan was for Isabel to live in that secret bedroom, and Miranda would be her lifeline and connection to the outside. Because remember, the door can only be opened from the outside. From
0: outside, yeah.
1: Because Isabel was William's mistress, her existence was only known to William and Miranda. So no one knew she was there, and she lived in that secret bedroom behind and above the banquet hall. And she only got food and water and let out to meet William because of Miranda. Yeah. As years went by... Axtell ran his merchant business and worked for the English Crown, and at night, he would secretly meet with his mistress. All seemed fine and dandy, and he was getting away with it, until everything changed. And that was when the revolution started, and William Axtell found himself right in the middle of it, literally, because the Battle of Brooklyn took place on August 27, 1776, right in the backyard of Melrose Hall. Yeah, did. Being a loyalist to the crown, because of course.
0: <laughs> Naturally.
1: Axtell had a duty to perform. So when rebel leaders were captured, they would be transferred to the dungeon below Melrose Hall. It's said that the prisoners who were taken down to the dungeon were tortured and ultimately never seen again. I, oh it said God. that during those years people would walk by melrose hall and hear screams and cries coming from the home not too long after the battle of brooklyn axtel was told by the king to gather 500 men and get ready to march it wasn't yeah. clear however if he would be gone a few weeks or a few months or even longer but it was clear that he would be gone And leaving Miranda as the sole lifeline to his lover, Isabel. (laughs) This wouldn't be a problem, except at this point in time, Miranda was quite old. What if she died while he was gone? Leaving Isabel alone in her secret room, that would slowly become her secret tomb.
0: Oh no. And that's exactly what happened. So
1: the night before his departure, William approached Isabel with his case. He told her, leave, leave the home, go, try to find somewhere where you can be safe. And he even handed her a bag of gold for her to live off of and take care of herself while he was gone. However, Isabel did not like this at all. She was not happy. She was furious with this. And she thought that this was William's way of trying to get rid of her and break up with her. And he was using leaving to fight in the Revolutionary War as his excuse to end things with her. And at first when I read that, I was like, that's crazy. Why would she be so mad? Why would she see it like that? And then I remembered, oh, right. She has no other social interaction than with this man and Miranda. Oh my God! So who knows what's up with Isabel? Either way, she got mad. She threw the bag of gold at him, stormed away, and I hope walked into the staircase bedroom and slammed the door.
0: <laughs> like strapped herself in there. Yep,
1: and I hope she like stomped and slammed it in a huff.
0: And then was like, "Oh shit!" And then was like, "Oh no! I've made a huge mistake." <laughs> Beep a deep, beep a like that arrested development yeah. music plays. Next time at Melrose Hall, <laughs> she's like, I'm afraid I just blew myself. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, William Axtell was away from his house for a full year, right? Oh, no. And the thing that he had feared the most that might happen did happen. Miranda Miranda the, died. Miranda, the keeper of the Isabel secret, the secret keeper. The only other person that could have opened the door. When did she die? So she fell ill. Legend says, however, though, legend says that on her deathbed, she was trying to tell the people around her about Isabel and, like, tell them about her existence and be like, please go get this girl. I promise you she is behind a closet. locked in the wall. Locked in the wall. And they were like, oh, you're just dying and crazy. Oh, you're
0: old. You're losing it. Oh, no. You're old. You're losing it. You're dying. You're crazy. But when, though? When did that happen? Like, how long of him being gone? So about six weeks
1: After she died, he came home. Oh,
0: no! So, like,
1: almost made it. Almost Almost made it.
0: Oh, my God, no!
1: So, six weeks after Miranda died, William came strolling up the driveway. He was greeted by his wife and his adopted niece, who led him into the banquet hall, where a gathering of his friends and family waited for him. And the surprise party began the moment he walked in the door. Though his friends and family surrounded him, there was one person that William was longing to see. Isabel. But as he scanned the room and grounds, what he didn't see sent chills down Miranda. his spine because he had seen no sign of Miranda since he arrived. He's like, yeah, what's up? where's
0: Miranda at? Like, yeah. I haven't even seen her since hey, I got so home. Miranda, y'all
1: know where Miranda is? Also, like, what's that smell? The story goes, legend has it, that William got up from his seat at some point in the middle of, at some point in the night during the party and made his way to the slave quarters. And there he was greeted with the news that Miranda had died weeks before. He staggered back into the banquet hall, stumbling around his party, around his friends who were laughing and drinking and like had no idea what was going on. But his only focus was on Isabel and the secret room that had inevitably become her prison. And that's when the impossible happened. Every single candle in the room went out. Everything was dark at first, but then a subtle glow began to illuminate the edges of the room. One newspaper that recounted the event in 1886 described it as a sickly glowworm light. What? And then the sounds began. Oh, no! Soft at first, low and distant, almost as if they were traveling from far away. Then the sounds crescendoed into an explosion of volume, and at that moment, the closet door burst open and the secret door swung outward. The same 1886 article described the woman who emerged as ashen pale each vein strongly defined on emaciated features, her long black hair drooping over her shoulders into the floor, and she seemed clad in airy gossamer. She didn't walk as much as glide, and she glided straight over to William Axtell. Fuck that.
0: Yeah, she did.
1: She stopped just inches from William lifted her hand and extended a single finger aimed at William's face, and one word came out of her mouth at that moment. Betrayer. (laughs) And then the glow vanished and the party was in complete darkness once again. When candles were lit again, there was no sign of the pale woman, but William Axtell was lying sprawled on the floor, eyes closed and motionless. He was moved up to his bedroom and a doctor was called, but legend says it was futile and that William Axtell died that night. Now, like a lot of really good ghost stories, there isn't a whole bunch of a paper trail to support this. It was sure. a lot of legend. William Axtell was a real person. He did own Melrose Hall and he did fight for the English in the Revolution. And he did take rebel leaders as prisoners in his basement dungeon And for all intents and purposes, everyone is pretty unanimous on the fact that he definitely tortured them. But he didn't die that night in the banquet hall. In fact, as the tides of the war turned against the British, he packed up his family and returned to England in 1782. (laughs) Bullshit. And that's where he died in 1795 with no reports of any ghosts at his deathbed. Okay. But in 1880... Melrose Hall was purchased by a Dr. Homer Bartlett, and by the time he purchased the home, the neighborhood around it had grown exponentially. So Dr. Bartlett chose to lift up the house and move it back 400 feet away from the street. And if we know anything about a good ghost story, it's that when you start doing renovations to a house, that's when the real shit gets unearthed and starts happening. Yeah. So as the structure was searched for valuables before being transported, someone discovered the secret chamber in the banquet hall. And upon going inside, they found the skeleton of a woman, decades old and covered in dust. Stop! And that's 100% fact. After the main house was lifted and moved, some old walled-up cellars underneath the home were also opened, and in those were several human skeletons. There were iron posts and chains down there too, by which it was believed that slaves were also once secured and punished. And it's believed that the bones that they found were those of the rebel officers who were secreted there during William Axtail's day. Oh my God. In an article from the Brooklyn Daily Eagle in 1895, it was claimed that Isabel's spirit made a few more, his few more appearances after her first debut. At every change in the ownership of the historic home and on every occasion when there is a dancing in the hall, the ghost stalks forth. She was last seen two years ago while a ball was in progress. She opened a secret panel, which formerly led to a blind staircase in what is now the dining room and was the library and glided out among the dancers.
0: Fuck that. Some
1: of the guests saw her. Others were skeptical, but the alleged apparition caused gossip at the time. However, since the last change in ownership, the ghost has not been seen. But one unusual circumstance has been noted. On the inside of the heavy front door, a copper, king, a copper key hangs in the immense old-fashioned lock. The key is about eight inches long of well-burnished metal and weighs something like a quarter of a pound. "'The door is of heavy timber, studded with nails, "'and it is made in two sections, divided up the middle. "'Suddenly, in the middle of the afternoon, "'the key turned in the lock, "'and both the top and bottom sections of the door swung back, creeping, creaking. "'The floor cracked as if someone had stepped over the threshold, "'however, no one was to be seen. "'No one within the house had touched the key,' and as it hung within the door, it could not have been reached from the outside. Melrose Hall was officially torn down in 1903, and in its place now stands what we know to be the Prospect Leffert's Gardens. However, some say that on a cold and foggy evening, you can still see the ghost of Isabella roaming around looking for her lover. Or I would hope looking for Miranda to let her out of the fucking room.
0: Damn. Damn. Damn.
1: Just, holy crap. So that's my story about Melrose Hall and the true story of how William Axtell snuck his lover and his mistress in there, hid her in a secret compartment, and then left her to die.
0: That's, that's fucking crazy. That is so crazy.
1: Ghost or no-goes, that story in and of itself is fucking insane. And also, of course, because of course, because of course a <laughs> white man would do that. Of course. So that's it. Stephanie, what are you talking about this week?
0: Um, So I'm talking about something that I can't decide if I feel like it's a light topic or a heavy topic. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. I'm ready. So um, I'm going to put it out there and say... Um, that it's a very controversial story that I'm going to talk about, um, and I'm in no way defending the actions of this person in any capacity, but the circumstances around the events that we all know about this person are even weirder than we all knew them to be. What? What are okay. you talking about? So today, I am going to talk about the outing of Rachel Dolezal. <gasps> so what Ooh, all do you... Let's talk let's start with the basics. So what all do you know about Rachel Dolezal?
1: I know that she is a white woman who for a long time basically put on blackface and pretended to be a black woman to get ahead in her life and career. Okay. And I was like, I feel like there was more shit behind it of like what happened. I read articles, but like there's so much that's the spark it. notes that I have.
0: So Rachel Dolezal, is all correct. She was famous. She was outed basically as being a white person who was posing and living as a black person. Um, and not just that, she was. The president of the Spokane, Washington division of the NAACP, she was an educator who taught African-American studies. She taught classes on how to do black hair, specifically classes for like white families who adopted black children. Because she knew how how to be a white person and learn how to tackle. How to do black people hair. Right. Um. And there was a guy that she, like, kind of paraded around who was black, who she said was her dad. And she would, like, tell everybody that he was her dad. Okay. So, um... She got found out, right? And people were like, "Whoa, like this cra- this woman is like a crazy lady who's living in blackface and like is living as a black woman and has like all these jobs around being a black woman and teaches classes on how difficult it is to be a black woman." What's your question? Didn't give your hand. Isn't raised.
1: the reason? I know I didn't want to interrupt. You were on like a roll. Uh, isn't one of the reasons she got outed was her her parents came forward and like said I'm something.
0: So Glad that you brought that up. So when she was outed as a white person living as a black person, her parents were on every news network, right? Like they were, it seems like they were weirdly eager, right, to tell everybody about their white daughter who was living as a black person who was actually white. They were on... Like every news network, okay, they were on Fox, they were on CBS, they were on CNN, they were they were everywhere, okay. Yeah, I talking like, about I remember how that their daughter lot. was actually white. Correct. So as a result, she rightfully lost her position at the NAACP and has kind of been living like <laughs> we mentioned exile earlier, but kind of been living this life in exile where like nobody, um. Like, she can't get a job anywhere. She, had, like, changed her name. Like, I think she might have moved. I can't remember if she's still in Spokane or not. Yeah, but I, I think have she moved. not
1: heard anything about her in a while.
0: In a long time. So, here's the thing, right? Rachel Dolezal was living that life for many, many years. She did not overnight become a black person, right? Living as a black person. She yeah. didn't become a black person at all. But she didn't go overnight to, like, living life as a black person. Yeah. So what happened that brought it up at that time? Right. Um, And what like what really like caught everybody like the video, the thing that went viral was there was an interview where somebody was talking to her um, and the interviewer flat out asked her, are you African-American? And she kind of froze and she was like, I don't understand the question. Right. And you're like, what do you mean you don't understand the question? And then he. Like, was trying to repeat it, and she, like, walked off camera. Like, she was clearly oh. not, she was clearly not ready for that. No. Right? She, was, she was being, she was being interviewed about receiving hate mail. So, huh. she had been saying and telling the police department that she was receiving all this hate mail, and she was receiving death threats, all this hate mail that was coming to the NAACP mailbox, and that it was all addressed to her personally, like, somebody was out to get her. Okay? Huh. Part of her job, um, not just with the NAACP, but part of her job was as somebody who called out police brutality. Mm-hmm. Um, She was part of, like, the police oversight. So part of her job was, like, pointing out when police were, like, brutalizing Black people or mistreating Black people. Yeah. That was a big part of her work. So... She's reporting to the cops, hey, I'm getting all this hate mail, I'm getting all this hate mail, and they're like, yeah, okay. Now, they're not really taking it super seriously. Because they're like, you don't like us. Could be for two reasons, Mm. okay? One is, they might not like her because of the work that she does on police oversight. Mm -hmm. Two, a lot of the hate mail that she received wasn't postmarked. (gasps) Oh. They think So oh. if it doesn't click with you, a listener, why that should be shocking, basically every piece of mail that goes through the post office is postmarked. If it's gone through a post office, it's been postmarked. Maybe not every single piece of mail, but it is very, very, very rare that a piece of mail will go through a post office and not get postmarked. Yeah. Let alone for a lot of it to go through and not get postmarked. So it was thought that it was an inside job. Um, that somebody, not necessarily Rachel, but that somebody, somebody was within the organization yeah. was sending her this hate mail. And only two people, one of them being Rachel, had keys to the mailbox. Hmm. So I'm gonna put all that out there hmm. to say nobody really was taking her allegations about the hate mail very seriously, right? She um so that's what she was being interviewed about on the news. She was being interviewed about the hate mail. Then the person asked her if she was African American. And she was like, I don't understand the question. She was like, I didn't expect this at all. Everyone has just always taken me at face value. Right. So. Then let's talk a little bit about her parents, right? So she had expressed that she was estranged from her parents for decades. She didn't have anything to do with her parents. Um, She had previously been married to a black man. Mm -hmm. She had one um, son biologically with her husband. And she had one son that she adopted who was also black. Okay. Okay. She alleged that her previous husband... Um, had problems with her. She says like he wanted her to be more white. You judge if he wanted her to be more white or if he wanted her to stop dressing in stop blackface. Pretend. Yes. Oh. She took it as like be more white. Her the way that she took it was like she was a trophy wife to him because she was white, and that he wanted her to be more. White because like it looked good on him to have a white wife. Yeah, that was her interpretation of their situation together. She was his but ultimately white wife. Correct, but ultimately they broke up. Okay. Oh no, you mean you couldn't make that work? So when Rachel talks about her family and her past, she has one older biological biological brother named Joshua. Okay. Um. So according to Rachel. When Joshua was born, and Joshua is the oldest, it was a very easy, smooth birth, like no problems, okay? Mm -hmm. And that when Rachel was born, the birth was very difficult, very excruciating, many problems, and that ultimately the way that her parents raised them, it was very much that like Joshua was the favored child and that Rachel was like cursed in some capacity,
1: because her mom also, had a hard birth
0: because her mom had like an incredibly difficult like maybe almost died like a very difficult tumultuous birth
1: yeah and this is Rachel saying that they treated yes. me this way because of this
0: right because okay. of it started because of the birth right so um she her parents also are extremely religious like very very religious because of course because they are, of course right? yep. So that also played into it, right? That her, like, her one brother was, like, blessed and she was cursed. So she alleges they always treated Joshua better than they treated her. As they got a little bit older, her parents adopted black children. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. In fact, one of Rachel, uh, uh, Rachel's adopted son was initially her adopted brother.
1: How old
0: was she when they adopted him um i want to say she was i mean she was like 14 15 so like in her tw- like later in her 20s like he was like in his or like he was maybe 10 or 12 and in her 20s she adopted him why did she adopt him so we're gonna get into. That. okay
1: sorry i got ahead i got ahead
0: no 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 you're totally okay you're totally okay So, I believe they adopted three, no, they adopted four children, four black children. So, Ezra, Isaiah, Esther, and Zach. Because, of course. Um, Yes. So, ultimately, I think that she had custody of two of them, of Ezra and Isaiah. Um, Isaiah is the one, I think, who is still with her. Sorry, just scrolling down a little bit to make sure. No, the older one is Isaiah. It's her biological son. So uh, yeah, Isaiah is the one that she adopted. And then Franklin is the son that she had biologically with her previous husband. So those are her two kids. So she adopted Isaiah and then she had Franklin. Okay. So moving on a little bit. (laughs) So she said that her, so her parents were really abusive towards her Mm -hmm. and also towards her younger siblings. So, she kind of took on more of, like, a motherly role uh, for her four black siblings.
1: Okay. But then why her, would they adopt the kids if they're... I mean, that's tale as old as time. Why would they adopt the yes, kids if they're going to abuse them?
0: Abuse them. It happens a lot. For religious clout. Uh, especially with white people adopting black babies. Yeah. It's really awful. Yeah. Um, It's usually to make them look really good, and then they treat... The children awful, and it's really fucking terrible. And no, it's, it's really awful. It's, it's awful, awful, yes. awful. So, she said that her parents didn't do really anything to like explore black culture or like help her kids have some help her siblings, their children, have any sort of like identity, like, like have any sort of black identity. identity. Correct. And so she kind of took on that role. So she didn't plan to, like, become a black person. It wasn't, like, in her, you know, in her mind. It wasn't this, like, calculated thing. It just kind of, over time, she kept kind of doing more and more like, dressing a certain way, styling her hair a certain way. Like, she just kind of kept appropriating all of these, like, black cultural things as a means of, like, teaching black culture to her black siblings. siblings. And over time, people, one, started to assume that she was their mother, and two, started to assume that she was black, and she just didn't correct people.
1: Yeah, I was like, she never outwardly lied and said, I'm a black person. I'm black. She just never said, hey, by the way, I'm super white. I mean, ultimately, she did
0: start saying she was a black person. Ultimately, she did. Oh, okay. But it didn't start that way, and it didn't start as, like, a plan, right? It's over time... These things kind of escalate. We're like if this is it's not such a big deal that I wear my hair in braids. It's not such a big deal if I want to start tanning. It's not such a big deal. You know what I mean? Each one is like a little step towards like now I think I'm a black person. Yeah. So it escalated. Sure. Um so over many years, right? Her she ended up adopting Isaiah because Isaiah told her like I want to come live with you. Our parents are abusing me. And she was like, yeah, our parents are abusive. They abuse me. I'm going to adopt you and take you in. Yeah. She's that's like, what's going to happen. Of
1: course. I love you. Let me get you out of this terrible situation.
0: OK. So years go by. She's moved to Spokane. She's living her life. She's working with the NAACP. She's teaching all these classes on being black. <laughs> um, Because for her, it's a learned kills me skill. the most. Right, For her, she's like she's like, yes. I, I can teach it because I learned it. It was not an innate skill. I learned it. Um, so that's happening, right? Yeah, so Esther, which is the girl who is adopted by her parents, Esther comes to her and tells her that her older brother, Joshua, has been sexually abusing her, Esther. Oh, and Rachel says, No, and Rachel says, Joshua sexually molested me when I was younger as well. And she comes out and there is a case that is brought up against her brother, Joshua Dolezal. Bet you've never heard this. No. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a case where Esther is coming out and saying, I'm being abused by Joshua Dolezal. And the key witness was Rachel because Rachel had, like, Uh, Esther had confided in her and she confided back in Esther that she had also been abused. And while the statute of limitations had run out on Rachel, like Rachel couldn't legally do anything. She could be a character witness and say, I've experienced this. And like, it's true. He's sexually abused me in the past and he's now abusing Esther. Wow. It was at that time that her brother's lawyer started a smear campaign in order to completely discredit Rachel Dolezal.
1: Did this... Wait, so this... um, This this all happened happened right before everything came out about her? Before
0: everyone found out who Rachel Dolezal was. Her brother's lawyer hired a private investigator who found out what she was doing, where she was living. That private investigator told the police, who she had been complaining to about all of this hate mail... And then that got to the, um, to, the to the reporter who was investigating the hate mail. So then the reporter asked her, "Are you an are you African American?" Caught her off guard. That video goes viral. The pictures go viral of her oh, when she was younger with no. blonde hair, blue eyes, and freckles. Her parents. Who were on Joshua's side, as they of had course, always been, because went on to every news network that they could to discredit their daughter.
1: I th- white people on their bullshit.
0: The charges against Joshua Dolezal were dismissed.
1: <gasps> Shut up. Mm hmm. Where, where's that fucker today? Everyone go spam him.
0: Where is he? Um, I don't know where he is today because all of that happened in 2015. Um, as far as like where Joshua is at this time, I mean, there was a documentary that came out in 2018 about all of this. Um, but I don't think anything else has come of it for her brother. Yeah. What the fuck? So, they went on a very public campaign to discredit the believability of Rachel Dolezal and what kind of person she is and how believable what stories she might be telling are. So I'm not arguing that anything that she did, pretending to be black, um, like living as a black person, living those jobs, I'm not going to say that any of that stuff is justified in any capacity. (sighs) However... The timing, because she had been living like that for literally decades, and nobody seemed to have any problem with it. Wow. But the timing of her of her outing as a white person living in blackface was completely calculated to discredit her because of a sexual abuse allegation against her brother, where she was the key witness.
1: That's so fucked. I know. That's so, so fucked.
0: To this day, Her parents Rachel, are
1: awful people.
0: Her parents are awful people. I curse this, them.
1: That whole To this family. day, she's still,
0: like, unemployed. She's not working anywhere. She's gone on to live- uh, to come up with a different name. I don't remember what it is. Yeah, no, she got completely canceled. She got canceled. I feel the worst out of all of it for the kids, obviously. Yes. For her sister, her- like, her adopted sister, her- children her biological and adopted children for them to be mixed up in all of this yep. obviously there's nobody in this story that i pity more than those kids however uh to learn about like the timing of of her outing and when that all blew up and the fact that like that was calculated and those people got exactly what they wanted that blew my mind i
1: had no idea
0: A no none. idea right they i didn't totally know about any of that it. shit Because Mm -hmm. they
1: probably have enough money.
0: They, but also, like, because that, because let's face it, a white person abusing a black child isn't scandalous. Like, that's not newsworthy. That's not something... That's going to make national headlines. A white lady living as a black person, working in all jobs about being black and teaching how to be black and like living like doing for the AC, like doing uh, being the president of the NAACP. Like, yeah, all of that. That is scandalous. That is newsworthy. That is like something to talk about. But I mean, honestly, Um, a
1: rich white dude assaulting someone that's everyday commonplace That's here in America. That's not news. That's everyday. That right, exactly. you uh,
0: elected as president. So the circumstances around the outing of Rachel Dolezal, I, I just learned them recently. And mind you, this was, two, this was five years ago. No, my mind is blown. I had no mm-hmm. idea. Oh, yeah. So it was a calculated character assassination. It was fun. And it totally worked. It did. It totally worked. Ugh, that makes me mad. Um, I know, right? That's that why I was like, part of this mad. story is like, is like interesting and fun. And part of it is like, ultimately, it's infuriating. It's an infuriating story. And it was already an infuriating story. <laughs> but this only like adds to how like fucked up it is. It's even more bizarre and fucked up than you ever could have thought it was from the information you already had.
1: Yes, 100%.
0: Yeah. And that's my story this week.
1: We had a ghost story and then a mad scary story.
0: (laughs) Ooh, that is scary, girl. That is scary, girl. Both those are scary, girl, for two different reasons. For two totally different reasons. But you know
1: what, though? You know what their through line is?
0: What? Awful white men. Awful? (laughs) Awful white men. Awful white men. Awful white men and white women who want to be the victim so bad. (laughs) Like, (laughs) That's yes. The the awful the awful white women who wanna be the victim. You're talking about her yes. mom, right? <laughs> I'm talking about her, she's still white. <laughs> she's a white person. I know, and let's not yeah. let's just cause she's trying to live her life as a black person does not make her a black person. She also that story when it happened, like it upset me so much because I already have all sorts of identity issues as a white-passing mixed person. Like, I look white. I know I look white. I know I appear white and people think of me as white. But I'm actually mixed. And um, when I think about it, it just makes me crazy because I don't want people to think I'm Rachel Dolezal. Like, when I say I'm mixed, like, my father is a Haitian immigrant. Like, I'm mixed. Not like, I started wearing my hair a certain way and people thought I was black, so I just went with it. Like, that's not, it's not the same. Rachel Dolezal Um, was like,
1: this is me now. This is
0: me now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god! So, um, so her story has always fascinated me, just in general. But yeah, so learning all of that and what led up to her outing, like, that is... blew my fucking mind. Like, blew my mind. I was like, how did I not know this? And then, of course, I don't know. Oh this. yeah, of course, because we weren't, of course, meant to know this. We weren't supposed to know. Mm-hmm. But now you and know. It worked. And now you know,
1: cause it's
0: Dead Story Show. So we have all kinds of exciting stuff coming up. This we is the do. last episode in September, which means we're coming up next month on Yes, Yes, Fest, number three. Number three, Number 3 it's our 3rd annual Guesttoberfest. So if you're new to the show, Guesttoberfest means that every week, every episode of October, we're going to have a guest. And we're super super excited about it. We already have our first guest lined up. So next week on October first, 1st, it's
1: October 1st <laughs> is when the first episode of Guesttoberfest Volume Begins. 3 drops
0: October it's so 1st. So exciting. Next and Thursday. our first guest is Josh Hawkins, who Josh Hawkins is an actor and performer and podcast host here in Philadelphia. I can't talk today. Podcast host, podcast. Philadelphia. Host. Um, He was, we actually met in Once More with Feeling when I was in the Buffy musical, and he is also how I met my partner Val. Um, But he is fantastic, and he hosts two podcasts. One is called Your Cup of Tea, where he speaks to a guest, and they- drink a cup of tea and they talk about that person's cup of tea, like what they're into, what they do. And I love it. And then the other one is called The Blurred Bar, which is a newer one that I haven't listened to yet, but I already love the premise, which um, it's three black nerds who sit at a bar and they drink and they talk about black nerd shit. And it's called The Blurred Bar, B-L-E-R-D. So we'll have Josh on as our first guest of Guesttoberfest. So excited. It's going to be really awesome. We have big things planned we have for October. Huge
1: things planned for October and Guesttoberfest, y'all. We're really Absolutely. excited. Absolutely.
0: And this is the perfect time for you to subscribe to our Patreon. So we have three different tiers. We have $1, $5, and $15. And $1 already gets you cool shit. So $1- Just go check it out. No, I was going to say, just, I
1: mean, if you listen to the show, like, just go check out the Patreon. Just go check it out. Just go
0: check it out. $1 gets you access to the Dead Time Stories Facebook group, which only gets better over time. Like, there are people in it now who I don't personally know- isn't that exciting? It's amazing.
1: And it's, it's tomfoolery amazing. every damn day.
0: And it's all like great memes and good jokes. And we all have a really good time and gas each other up. And it's super fun. And that's just a dollar a month. Five dollars a month gets you I Saint It, which is bonus content where I describe a horror movie to Sarah that she's never seen. Always a lot of fun. <laughs> um, Last month was The Boy. It was it was <laughs> really exciting. I'm
1: like, that's it. It's that was the a boy. fun
0: one. The Boy, that's Oi. the name of it. The Boy, and then $15 a month gets you two things. Well, besides all the things that it unlocks from the other two tiers below it, but it also gets you con <laughs> I can't fucking talk. It also gets you access to the monthly celebrity ghost fart where I illustrate a celebrity ghost farting. Uh this month it was Rosa Parks. <laughs> there you go you want to see rosa parks farting don't you i know i do and then you also get access to me myself and youtube which is a show that is made for us by our friend christina Dorset, where she gets on and she talks about some weird youtube drama that you don't know about because youtube people aren't famous outside of youtube they're
1: fucking crazy and like i'm like we cover weird stuff on our podcast but youtube is so weird that we YouTube don't really even touch wild. it. it's too yeah. low of a rabbit hole
0: it's, it's a lot. So listen to Christina instead, because it'll save you a lot of time. There you go.
1: And also, y'all, just another reminder, it hasn't been talked about a lot on this show because of Corona, but um, I'm in a show. Yeah, that's right. Still yes, acting. Bitch. I didn't just forget about my profession because of Corona and life. Still doing it, y'all. Um, So I'm in a production of Eurydice. You might remember that I'm playing the Loudstone, uh, in case anyone was worried. <laughs> <laughs> About me not being typecast.
0: <laughs> I fucking that hate got you. Stephanie. <laughs>
1: Um, but the loud stuff. by the time this episode comes out, Eurydice will be streaming online. So I'm going to make sure and post the links onto our Facebook page, uh, Instagram, whatnot, however the fuck we're going to do that. But go over and check out Allen's Lane Theater PA on the interwebs, and that'll give you the links. But the tickets are $15. It gives you a link to our filmed version of Eurydice, and it's a full stage production. We have tech, lights, everything. We did it the way we would do it. If we had an audience and I think it's going to be without an audience. Yeah, there was no audience there. Don't worry, guys. We were all tested twice. Everything was super, super, super safe, but it'll be available online. You can click that link and watch it from the comfort of your own home. So that's it's pretty exciting. really
0: the best of both worlds. It's theater. And then also you can sit on your couch and smoke weed. So yeah, there you go. And watch Eurydice. So Yeah. Uh and then I love it. Gastoberfest. And then Gastoberfest. I'm so excited. It's gonna be really good this year. I'm, I mean it's always really good. It's my favorite time of year. It I mean, I'm still just so surprised
1: that it's number three. Because if you remember, we started this as a reason to not have to do research for a month for a month. And now it's
0: become <laughs> a thing. To give ourselves a little break. And now it's become like a, m- a yearly tradition. And now we're
1: excited and we're
0: like, ooh, what guests are we going to get this year? Ooh. I know. So- i so excited. We're trying to get all guests that we haven't had on before, but with the exception of like one.
1: <laughs> oh, that's true. I was like, wait, no, we've all got new people. Nope. So this year will be super exciting, you guys, because yeah, it's going to be all new guests. The lineup is pretty dope, starting with next week's Josh
0: Hawkins. I'm so excited, you guys. It's going to be a really good time. Every time I say it, I'm like, our very own Jim Hawkins. Jim Hawkins. Hey, Jimmy! <laughs> we love Muppet Treasure Island, we if you didn't know already. love it. So good. It's it's the best Muppet movie.
1: Thank you. Charlie, did you like, hear that? Have I
0: told you this? Is. No. Uh, does he think a different one is better? You want to know which one he thinks is better? Great Muppet caper. No. The worst what? one. Muppets in space. In space? Yes. Ew. Thank you. Ew. Thank and you. And I like Charlie so much. I know. It's over now. Just kidding. It's over now. No, I still like Charlie a lot, but he's wrong. He that's is okay. wrong. Thank you. That is what I said. Yeah. I was like, that's a thing you can be wrong about. And I now guess. there's a dog barking on my end. There you
1: go. All right, you guys. Like we uh, going out the way we came in talking about Muppets. Um,
0: I love it so much. <laughs> Uh, Church looks like a little muppet because of her missing teeth. Little muppet baby, my little bean. I call her. She has so many names: Bean, Beanie Baby, Princess Beans, Little Muppet. There you go. Oh, I hear the dog.
1: All right, y'all. Well, thanks for tuning in. That means it's our time Time to go. All right,
0: and that's our cue. And also, you can email us. Leave us if you don't have money. (laughs) Leave us a five star (laughs) review on iTunes. If you take a screenshot and send it to us, we will send you a sticker for free. It's a net gain. Uh, blah 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 blah. Yep. Womp, womp, womp. We will. uh Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening. I'm Stephanie and I'm Sarah. And this has been <laughs> Dead Time, Dead Time Stories. Stories. Thanks for listening. Next week for Ghostoberfest. G- 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 oh my god, I can't wait! I know, I'm excited. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah heddens and Stephanie C. Kurnison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman.